So, yeah, I guess the first thing we're trying to record this, so with whatever level of success we do that, it's okay. So, um, I think it would be important on our end. I'm not sure how far it's picking up questions, so if you feel like there's a question, maybe reiterate the question so it gets on whatever oh, recording. Okay. Yeah, just and just. And it also helps if you reiterate it and they're like, yeah, that's what I said. So it's, I guess, it's good for us. That means I have to understand it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's reiterate mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know with my other Yeah. Yeah. Code word for us, right? Like, <laughs> called stalling, right? <laughs> Okay, so um, this, so the idea of this class is like, obviously, our Sunday mornings don't have time for Sunday school per se, and so this is kind of like, we thought, wouldn't it be nice Sunday night then if we could like, have a turnout? Apparently, you thought so too? Because here we are. That's really neat. Now, whether or not you all be back like next week, no, I'm <laughs> so we have one chance, right? Okay. All right. So, very good, yeah. So, yeah, we've been, we've been, um, Studying through the summer and then some to like pull this together. So um, and still studying and then like past studies. So I'll try to like conglomerate it into this class. And so um, the big picture for this class is we have uh, maybe you see a handout with this grid on it. Okay, we actually have a two-year kind of goal of like dip, yeah, two years kind of thought thought out. Um, the, the idea for this, when I, when I was at seminary, I met a gentleman who kind of put something together for his church that was like really, I thought really neat, and I said, okay, like, how are you doing this? And so he kind of, this is like kind of like a structure outline that he proposed that we kind of adopted and tweaked. Um, so so the, the ideas that we're going to be dealing with, so this first unit, so six units to, to your class, and the first unit is dealing with um, the Bible and questions like how is it formed, questions about it, authorship, um, and that's going to last us up till right around Thanksgiving, and then we'll break for the holidays, and they'll come back, and then there's going to be two units, like ten weeks, five units, five units, um, dealing with like our spiritual walk, and then dealing with the ideas of relationship and counseling. So it's like uh, applying. Because we don't just want to be like all head knowledge. We want to think about different ways that you can apply this. And then um, the next time, then we'll talk about what's called theology um, proper, which is like, okay, let's talk about specific themes. Like, let's talk about Christ for a little. Let's talk about the Trinity for a bit. Let's talk about salvation for a bit. And kind of work those out. And that'll be next year. And then, like, in some practice. So you can get an idea of where this is heading. So, um, it's, like I say, we, we promise it will be good, but... Like time will tell. Okay, and then for this particular unit, then, so do you got the topics? Yeah, so. AT&T is the internet's down, so this is our uh, attempt at, yeah. like, flexing here. Okay. <laughs> this is BJ's phone, by the way. <laughs> this is our schedule. <laughs> We, yeah, yeah, we, we think, we pretend like we're all organized. Yeah. Alright, so, okay, so, like, let's, let's start flexing a little bit. So, we're looking at the evening class. So, we're dealing with, in this class, Bob is dealing with God and the Bible, and the, that initial, just kind of initial introduction. Um, and then, next week, BJ's going to be dealing with the role of the Holy Spirit 
as the Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit's role in us, not just giving the word, but receiving the word. Um, and then, from that point, we're going to get into kind of some material like um, the Old Testament canon, how it was formed, because it didn't happen all at once. Um, the New Testament canon, transmission and translation of the Bible, so how it got out to us, and kind of like, like can we know that the Bible that we have is the Bible that was written, and kind of things pertain to that issue. Uh, the background and culture of the Old Testament and New Testament. So the Bible is not written in the vacuum. There's that things going on. And you get a hint of that, like in the Old Testament, the Pharaoh Necho comes like marching through town. It's like, what's going on? Who's the Pharaoh? Why are they doing it? And um, even there's, and then the genres, there's styles. Like the Bible is not the only one writing laws. There's other laws out there. And it's kind of nice to see like the Old Testament law compared to like other laws of that time. It's kind of a really fascinating to look at and helpful, I think. Um, and then we're going to deal with some ideas like, okay, so towards the end, getting closer to Christmas, like the problem of evil in Scripture. Like, there's stuff that kind of wrinkles our sensibilities as Westerners. Like, hmm, why did that happen? And why is that okay? And so, um, that'll be fun. And then the idea of biblical contradictions, because that's one of the challenges that we hear similarly, especially with the Gospels. Like, this Gospel contradicts that Gospel. We would like to give an answer to that. Um, and then we gave ourselves an extra class just in case. We have ideas of what we'd fill it with, but like, if in the conversation, like, like questions and themes are coming up, we're like, okay, maybe we should just do a whole class period on that, then um, we will. So we give ourselves some leeway time. Um, now, the, like, the number one question when we mention this class is, what about the homework? Is it going to be homework? Yeah, okay. And so, so the, the short answer is no. There's no mandatory required homework. Yes, and that's here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I think because if you're involved in another Bible study with our church, you're probably already doing reading a book and doing Bible studies for that. So we don't necessarily want to like add on top of that. The idea is that you you're welcome. Um, you're welcome. Um, so we don't want to add to that pal. So you can like you can just come, listen, interact, not even ask any questions, and that would be fine. You can come, interact, ask questions, and that'd be good. And then, but like we will be providing resources. So if you want, if you're someone who actually would like to read up on this stuff, we're providing that too. So you can make it whatever you want, take it or leave it. Um, and then for this particular topic that we're dealing with, especially with. Bob's dealing with, there's kind of two resources that we're going to uh, point you to, one that we'll provide for you and one that we'll point you to. Um, the first one is this book by J.I. Packer, God Has Spoken, and it's thin. And, and it's not even like a thin, dense book, it's like a thin, easy, light reading, um, which is actually pretty good for J.I. Packer because sometimes he doesn't tend to be easy to read, but he does a good job. It's really interesting. He wrote this, I think, in the 70s. When he was, he was in Canada, he was an Anglican. And the Anglican tradition was moving away from the inerrancy of Scripture. And this was his plea to his fellow pastors to not do this. And, and, and why. And so it's somewhat... I, I still, like, I read lots and lots and lots of books while I was in seminary, and a lot of it, like, I'm not sure it's still in there. But this one is. Like, this stuff he said in here still kind of resonates with me. And I thought it was really helpful and really accessible. And then, um, so this is one that I'm just pointing you to. So it's like, this is like a topic that you're interested in. Like, go get this book. We're not going to buy a bunch of books. But 
Um, the one that we will provide is um, we got okay. Uh-huh. Okay, like if you're like like crazy, you should just get this book and read it. It's a lot. It's actually it's it's actually articles, collected articles on specific issues. And so in this one, there's there's some articles dealing with what we're addressing today, and we can actually photocopy these. Like copyright law allows us to like make photocopies of these and distribute to them either on paper or on a secure site. So I can't like post it on Facebook because then I can go out to everybody. But I can send emails and send you the digital file so you can read it. Uh, what I like about this particular article is like it doesn't take very long to bump into like these arguments from from people their field is they're biblical scholars and you start reading them going like do what? And like like I'm not sure like what you mean by biblical scholar at this point. But but they're they're um, accessible, especially on the internet. There's uh, really reputable websites, I don't know if you read them like Pathios.com, which hosts a lot of conversations and there's two names in particular that have become um, kind of famous in their own right. So Bart Ehrman and Peter Enns, who have been writing books about the about why the Bible is just a collection of like theology has been formed. And um, in this article, four they, they address four things, and I think like I've heard these. I just like this is not like me reading French stuff, hearing this. This is me like talking to people or like just listening to the chatter and the internet and hearing this stuff. So like one idea is like. Um, one reason we don't hold to inerrancy is that God uh, identifies God too closely with manifestly human elements of the biblical text. Like, God's great, and this is messy, and we don't want God to involved in that, because then, like, then God's morally culpable for these things. So that's one reason why we don't think there's inerrancy. Like, yep, heard that. Um, it's one dealing with... Um, it takes away from Christ if you make the Bible all that, which... Kind of sounds weird if you kind of hold to Christ being revealed in Scripture, um, but they deal with that. And then um, the idea that I mean, I just read there's this pastor right now who's like preaching a series that's like super popular about why you don't need the Bible, you need Christ. You don't need the Bible, you need Christ. Yeah, and so like hmm, that's an interesting thought. Like I wonder how you understand Christ, right? So that gets addressed in this article. And then the other one is. Um, that you're, if you say the Bible is narrative and the Bible is all that, then you take away from the role of the Holy Spirit because that's what the Holy Spirit should be doing for you. And so, like, so these are ideas like they interact with. And I think it's done really well. So, if you're interested in doing that, I'll send a sign-up sheet for your email. I can just email that to you. So, um, so that's what we we'll do. So we'll like talk about things and give you extra resources if you're so willing to do that. It is hot, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is hot. Okay. In terms, yeah, in terms of just some administrative points, so um, RCF is a five minute after church. Like everything starts five minutes after we say it will, right? <laughs> so we say six oh five, go time. So um, so we'll do that. Although we start at six ten this time which is the next administrative uh, thing. So we have a babysitter. Babysitter couldn't make it today. And so that was like trying to figure out what we're going to do with that. And so, um, like, I guess if, like, all else fails, like, people are just going to, like, volunteer to miss a class and, like, go help out because that's what's happening right now. People are just, like, going out there and pitching in and maybe share that load if that's what we need to do. And that would be cool. Um, one of the things, hopefully, that while we're in here... Um, 
there's kind of hope to like get the kids together and start singing to have like a Christmas something together. So that's one thing hopefully that happens when they're down there. That's one of our goals. Okay. And then, and then the last kind of administrative comment for Bob goes is that um, as our ties, like we are open to questions, and we think actually the value of this class is if questions happen. Like if, it, if it's just us talking and no questions get answered, like then what was the point? Um, and so feel free to ask questions. Feel free to ask questions um, that may not necessarily be your question, but questions that you've heard and just wanted to see, like maybe how to like answer that. Um, and then in so doing, I guess like like we're okay with that. So it's safe to ask those questions, and I don't think anybody would like feel bad if you genuinely had a question that and it's like, well, that's not talking. No, that's unorthodox, right? It's fine. Just come. Um, we'd be glad to talk about it. So, but in terms of like facilitating questions, it's not free for all. So like we're so the idea would be like at various points, hey, okay, so any questions? So like be pondering them, writing them down. We're not gonna like so we're gonna probably not go the whole two hours, but like we saw it two hours, and there's gonna be like a break for like relaxing. The break is for relaxing, not for questions. Like just relax, like decompress, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, and get some fresh water, like you know, fresh air. Um, the questions would be like. Just like at transition points in the material. It's like, okay, questions or so. With that, Bob, see you. Okay, I will be passing around a sheet for like emails if you want that article. Oh yeah, you, you don't agree? Oh, thank you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that um, that you are there and you're not silent. That you have reached down and communicated yourself to people, God, and that. We have your word, and Lord, there is joy in hearing from you, and um, confidence that we have heard from you, and we just pray that as we go through this, Lord, that you would um, embolden and bolster our faith, Lord, and give us clarity of mind. Lord, I pray that this would be productive and beneficial. Um, I just pray, God, that you would be here with us now, um, and we thank you for all that you are and all that you've done for us in Christ. Amen. I uh, gave you uh, a handout if you seen those on the yellow copy, so that might help you. Uh, mind if I set this on your table? <laughs> I'll probably turn it off. <laughs> but, uh, what we're looking at this evening is that God has spoken. Obviously, I've, oh, I've, I've, I've stolen that. You know, <laughs> somebody, one of us did anyway. Uh, uh, it's and and again, I, I'll join in with uh, the, the the statements that this book is easy reading in the sense of uh, it, you know it's 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 great. I found that it was one that I could read. So uh, it, it's. Uh, You can go anywhere you want with this in the sense of, of God has spoken 
Uh, for me, I gave you, uh, by the way, some other books uh, that I've used as reference books uh, for some of my information. And uh, But the thing that is, is when you start with God as spoken, is the reality that the assumption is God is there. And so we're starting with that as a premise. We're not, I'm not here to prove God one way or the other in that sense. Uh, I, the, we're starting with the premise, God is there. And that He has chosen to communicate with us in a way that we can understand Him. And uh, the way we can come to know Him. And it's more than the idea of knowing that God is there. It's actually knowing the God who is there. And I hope that makes sense. Uh, and God has revealed Himself in a couple of ways that, that, are, uh, that we see. First is uh, natural, uh, in a sense, uh, or general. I've seen that both applications of the idea of natural or general revelation. And what we're talking about is, is Scripture uh, speaks of, of God showing Himself in nature. Take a look at Psalm 19. You have your Bibles. Uh, Psalm 19. And just the first two verses... Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. What David is saying here, as the psalmist is the one who wrote this, was that he can look, if you will, at the things around him in nature and see that there is God. He, he, he's looking at that in the sense of uh, what we call, and, I, and I've seen it used uh, quite a bit, the idea of intelligent design. When you look at and start to look at the complications, and I recall when I was in uh, uh, high school, I had a teacher uh, for science, and science is by, by way out of my league other than just the basics, but he made the comment, it was really interesting, this was 1967 that he was saying this, and, and it was the idea that the more science reveals about the complexity of man and cells and DNA and all the stuff that they were just really getting into at that point in a big way, he says the more that this reveals the more we're going to have to admit that something, someone, somewhere put this together. He, he was, even then, in, in, in the late 60s, we were already limited to what a teacher could say in a classroom in a public school. But what he was, you know, he said is the idea of intelligent design because he said we will have to realize, and he used the phrase that I had, the first time I had heard it was, there has to be a first cause out there. Something that put it into, into play. And that has, by its very nature, because it, it's there, it has the idea of being eternal in its character, in its nature. And so, 
the question comes then, as we look at, at nature, we're saying, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God. You look at all, and it is amazing. You look at, at, at the, the, the universe, you look at, the, at what you can just see uh, on a clear night, and it's pretty amazing at times. Uh, you see all the stars, you see all the ocean, you see all the way life comes together. You see the, uh, just, you know, in our own ecology or uh, ecological systems around here, all the things that how it interacts, it is absolutely amazing to see all of these things. And so what David was saying was, this is, you know, God speaks through his creation. Now, Paul confirms this, I think, in a pretty powerful way in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, he, or, uh, yeah, well, I'll just read the whole context there. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so what Paul is basically saying is that we have a clear revelation that there is an intelligent first cause, if you will, uh, that has put this, you know, the universe together. And that we should be able just from that to acknowledge there is a God. But the question is, can we know this God? And that has been man's quest, if you will, uh, in, in lots of ways, if you've studied uh, the history of civilization in your high school and college classes and stuff, that you realize all the different speculations about that. But we're taking the position that God has indeed communicated with us and it's, we call it special revelation. There's the natural revelation, what nature reveals to us. There's special revelation, which is God actually revealing Himself by His words. His own words. What the Bible declares about itself, if you will, is, is what we're going to look at tonight in reference to Scripture. And so, uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 1. In just the first two verses. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son whom He appointed the heir of all things through whom also He created the world. What the writer of Hebrews is basically saying here is that we have... Up to, to the time of Jesus coming, we had the prophets, of, and he's referring to the Old Testament. We have the words of the prophets of the Old Testament that have guided us and directed us to be able to see God, understand God, and to know some things about God. And he said in many different ways. And I'm not going to go into all of the, the, the details of some of these, but uh, theophanies or physical where, for instance, Exodus chapter 3, where Moses comes to the burning bush. 
And we, at the first three verses of Exodus chapter 3, God physically, if you will, reveals Himself uh, to Moses. Let's take a quick look at that. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look to God. So here we have a physical revelation of God to Moses. It's certainly not the only one, but it was the, the, the one that, that came to mind for me. And, and the understanding is, is that this is one way God has revealed himself in a special sort of way. There's also visions. And I'm cautious with this because... Uh, there, there, you can take things so far out of care, out of the, uh, away from Scripture and abuse them, but there are times where God has appeared in visions. For instance, in Acts chapter 10, uh, as Caesarea says, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his house and was, uh, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and <clears throat> say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. By the way, it's interesting. I was thinking of that again uh, from this morning's message. You know, they were praying and God said, send. You know, it's, it's interesting. And he, is look, and he is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among them who attended him. And having revealed everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Parallel to this, you know, the very next day they, they were on their journey and approaching the city. Peter goes up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and that would be the middle of the day. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while he was, while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So God appears in, in visions. Uh, 
So we have God appearing physically. Uh, we have pictures of, of God uh, uh, in visions. Uh, we have pictures of God appearing in dreams. The one that I can think of that first came to my mind when thinking of that was the one of Joseph's dream in the Old Testament uh, where he sees his brothers uh, yielding to him and acknowledging him and bowing to him. And, uh, and so God appears in physical and visions and dreams. But what Hebrews emphasizes here is that all of that was leading up to the fact that God appeared in His Son, or through His Son, Christ Jesus. Again, look at that. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. All of these things, the, the physical... Uh, the visions, the dreams, His Son, which would be the Gospels themselves revealing Him, are all what makes up the Scriptures we have today. We refer to it as His Word, and that's going to be the focus for this evening. 2 Peter 1, 18-21 We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for which we, <clears throat> excuse me, for we were with him on the holy mountain. What he's referring back to is when they were on the mountain of transfiguration with Jesus, and they they saw that and they saw his the, his holiness. They saw the the amazing things. He, you know, Abraham and Moses let us make tents that you might stay here. All the things that, that, that goes on in that conversation. But he says, we have seen this. So there's where they have seen, again, a physical appearance. And then he says, but we have something more sure. Even though this is what we've seen with our eyes, heard with our ears, we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What we have Peter telling us here is very clearly that the Scriptures that we have are put together for us, if you will, through the Holy Spirit speaking. God has spoken. And He's done so through the prophets of old. He did so through Jesus Christ and then through the apostles. In 2 Timothy, we have probably one of the most familiar verses that we use uh, in reference to the Word of God and, and understanding it as, as God's Word. And that's Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped, 
for every good work. Paul's writing to Timothy actually says the Word of God, the Scriptures that we have, are God-breathed. That's a pretty powerful statement. So within the framework of the Word of God, the Word of God says, the Bible says, this is from God. God has put it together through His Holy Spirit. And, and that's another topic for next week. But the, the reality is, is that God has spoken. Scripture is His Word. Psalm 119, you're familiar with these verses. God causes the Scripture to be a, a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In other words, it's, it's a, a, the presence of God for us for guidance day by day, moment by moment. God's Word is there for us. And as I was looking at that this, the other day, I was thinking, how important is this? In other words... The world would like to say, as a whole, no, this isn't, didn't happen. In fact, uh, Levi alluded to some of that as he gave the introduction. There's a, there's a whole contingency of groups of people who are saying, no, this is not God's Word. In fact, most of them would say there is no such thing as God's Word. These are myths and, and legends and, what, and, and, and stories. And while some will acknowledge that they may have good meaning, they'll just say that that means that Jesus was a good teacher. And, and for some, that even he was a good teacher and he was a rebel uh, in his time and in his culture. That was a real big thing in the, in the 60s and the 70s. In the Jesus movement, of course, we were already counterculture as it was. And, and so to have somebody say, oh, he, here's the, the key revolutionary, uh, it did open a lot of ears. Now, I have to say, there were an awful lot of people who came to the Lord during that time. Some very amazing pastors. Uh, and and uh, I think of, of uh, uh, you know, Chuck Smith and his ministry and, and, and John MacArthur and his ministry and the young men that were coming out of that. Uh, something that Chuck Smith had said at one point was really quite interesting uh, because they were in between their... their, their uh, facilities and they were meeting in actually a huge tent now if you were going to create some interest with a anti-culture movement church in a tent you know on a regular basis this wasn't the revival tents this was just regular church these people started to show up and and, and they, they showed up in their shorts and their short sleeve shirts and all of this kind of stuff. And everybody thought, that, oh, that's kind of understandable. In fact, it was interesting that they would actually start sitting in the places between the chairs and the pulpit on the floor and just filling up the place. And after they moved into their new facility uh, in Costa Mesa, uh, actually Santa Ana, but, but it, it, uh, they... they continued to do the same thing. They were showing up in their shorts and their shirts and, and sitting between the front pews and the, and the, the, the pulpit and, and, and listening to what Chuck had to say. And uh, the, 
leaders of the church came up to Chuck after one service and said, what are we going to do about this? These, 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 they're, they're not dressed appropriately. They're not, you know, they're, they're just, it's all. And, and Chuck's response to it was, I didn't know you were looking for a new pastor. <laughs> In other words, you know, he was excited about the reality of what was going on there. The word was going out. The word was uh, was beginning to minister to these people. So even in some time where there were some misconceptions about who Jesus was, we had fantastic Bible teachers who were solid in the Word of God, whose churches were really ministering and reaching out. And and so God, you know, uh, word was going out. I thought about this and, and was thinking, why do we need special revelation to know God? Not just that He is, but that He is God. So actually to know Him. Well, one is to reveal His holiness. Who is God? We're told in Matthew chapter 5 that if we want to, to know who is God, God is and, and, and enter into a relationship with Him, that we need to be holy as He is holy. In fact, Leviticus chapter 19 verse 2 is, is what what's, uh, Matthew is quoting there. So clear back in Leviticus it was saying, if you want to know who God is, you have to approach Him on His terms, in His holiness, in His way. Well, how are we going to know that? How are we going to know how to do that? God's Word. He's revealed Himself. He has spoken. By the way, it's interesting that we have God actually speaking to us. I was reading an article uh, the other day and I... I, Copied a couple pages off of it, you know, just to, you know, uh, talking about the ability for people to be able to speak and to talk. And it says humans have an innate, built-in, hardwired ability to acquire and communicate complex language from the moment of their birth. Animals do not, making a very clear distinction that people, mankind is a unique thing within the framework of creation. Now, they didn't say it that way, but that's the implication. Nothing else. They were talking about, this article went way over my head, but, you know, talking about how the larynx and the, and, and the vocal cords and all of this are, are constructed and put together and, 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 and so that our voice works how the brain facilitates the speaking of the words and, and, and the reality of our vocabulary from the time that we're about three to the time of about six and, and it starts growing by literally hundreds and even thousands of words and, and it, the idea of communication. And he says, even though apes, dogs, and birds can be trained to do certain things and can convey ideas of danger, food, etc., they still cannot reason with others so as to have a true mental communion. Why? The intelligence of animals is quite bluntly unlike that of mankind. Of course, he's coming from the same point of view that the, the Word of God has spoken. The issue is not can animals think but rather, can they think the way humans do? The answer is no. Now, 
as soon as you say something like that, somebody's going to say, but I read a study about dolphins. Uh, and I, you know, uh, the bottom line is, is that dolphins are apparently a very, very intelligent animal. I don't know how many of you have ever seen them in the actual, the, the wild in their environment. I grew up where dolphins were out in the water all the time, in Santa Barbara and out by the Channel Islands. And I can remember one time going out, and as soon as they could see the boat, they started following it, and then they started going ahead of it. They started doing all the things that they do in the, in the, the, uh, the sea worlds and stuff like that, where they, they jump out of the water and, and they flip their tails. And all. They were doing all of that. There's something about dolphins that is amazing. And they like to interact with people. But we still have the reality that they don't reason and think the way we do. You realize, we actually sit down and think. We can say, I am human. And as much as I have personified my dog, and as much as I love my dog, and I and and you know, would be embarrassed to, to to admit how I talk with my dog, <laughs> and I imply or think or somehow would would imagine that what my dog is saying back to me, this type of thing. The reality is, it's a my dog, Labrador Retriever, party dog, loves to play, sits there, wags her tail, can't wait to 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 play and everything. Does not sit there and reason. Oh, I'm a dog. doesn't sit there and contemplate what nature is revealing around her as the sense that we're talking about here in Scripture. She doesn't, you know, it, 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 she doesn't think about those kinds of things because it's not the way God designed her. But we can. We have the ability to reason, to think. In fact, that's why from the idea of natural revelation, uh, the, the idea that we should be able to reason and think and come to a conclusion, there must be a God. And if there is a God, again, is there a way I can come to know Him? And the answer again comes to, yes, He has revealed Himself in His Word. So I put again down here as to, you know, why do we need special revelation? To know God. To have a relationship with God. To reveal His holiness to us. But also, to reveal to us the reality. And this starts in Genesis and goes all the way through Revelation. Man's missing the mark. He does not acknowledge God. Even when he can see Him in nature, he refuses to accept that. He refuses to accept the complexity and say, no, no, this all happened by, by chance. This all happened by evolution. Uh, it, and, and it's kind of interesting to me. Again, science is my weakest spot. Uh, probably next to math. And... and the, the reality, though, is, is that when I was in grammar school, 
it was take it was, it was taking millions and millions and millions of years for evolution. What's it taking now? Billions of years. Why? Why do you think? Because exactly what my my science teacher in high school said: the more complex things get, the harder it's going to be to deny that there's a God who has designed it. So, for it to happen by chance, we're going to have to increase the odds. So instead of one in a hundred million or one in five hundred million, it's going to be one in a billion, then one in three billion, then one in four billion, then one in five billion, then one in twelve billion. It's the idea is, is that the more complex that we understand it, the harder it is to squeeze it into this package that it just happened. We want to have a relationship with this God, but we have a problem. Because the Word of God is showing us man's missing the mark. How do we know what the mark is? How do we know? And, and, and you've all heard the, the, the picture, the, the idea of missing the mark is the archer pulling back the, the bow and shooting. And he either hits the bullseye or he misses. That's hitting the mark. You know, we, we like to have extra rings around there and score outside those. So even if we miss the bullseye, we still get some points. Not, not in this case. You either hit the center and hit the mark or you miss the mark. And the scripture says that we have missed the mark. A while back, because of the kids that were having memory verses in Sunday school, we were putting scriptures in the in the bulletin in reference to the Roman road, and we've just simply left it there since then uh, because it's it, it's appropriate and it, to have in there in the sense of always telling us how is it that we can know who God is and what's the you know the obstacles. And Romans three twenty three says, "All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." We have all missed the mark and fall short of the glory of God. doesn't matter who you are, with one exception, Jesus Christ. All have sinned and missed the mark. What is the consequences for missing the mark? The wages of sin, death. And this idea of death is more than anything else is being separated from God. There is a barrier between us and God. The only way we know this is because He has told us in His Word. The Scriptures tell us. There's a holy God who wants fellowship with us, but there's an obstacle. We aren't holy. We can't come into His presence. And because we have sinned, there is nothing that we can do to undo that. There's no course correction for us. We've sinned, we've fallen short of the glory and the wages of that sin, and it doesn't matter how serious or how, you know, is, is that we are separated from God. Now, it also entails the idea that we've inherited because of sin and Adam's fall, physical death. But the reality is that, is, is that the most important thing is that we're separated from God. 
Where's our hope? Well, again, the Scripture comes to our rescue to reveal God as a plan. John chapter 1. Again, such familiar verses that hardly have to, 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 to turn to them, to, to, to read them. But you know, it tells us very clearly in John chapter 1 in the first few verses that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now who in Hebrews chapter 1 did we just find out what all things were created through? Jesus Christ. Okay. All things were made through Him and without Him there was not anything made that was made. In Him was life and His life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. So we have God initiating a plan of hope. Because it tells us in verse 14 that this Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. God became flesh. How do we know that? We have the Word of God. God breathed through uh, the, the writers of, of, of the Scriptures that tell us and, and, and have informed us. The Holy Spirit working through it to let us know that God has a plan in reference to the reality that we've missed the mark. Philippians chapter 2 gives... I think, to me, some, uh, is the, some of this. I, I, I just love this passage. Uh, you're probably aware of that as to how many times I, I, I refer to it over the years. But, but Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter two of Philippians. He says in verse five, "Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus." Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The Word was in the beginning. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word came to dwell in, uh, among us in God in the flesh. Why? To, to go to the cross on our behalf and pay the price of sin that we could not pay. Uh, the numbers of, of Christian hymns and, 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 and songs and poems and stuff that, that let us know that idea that if we had everything that the world has, if we had all of it as our possession were to bring it to God, it would be insignificant in the sense of meeting the need of what our sin causes. So the Word of God came flesh, became a man, even to the servant of man, again to the point to to go to the cross and to redeem us 
I was uh, thinking again, and I think it's in the, the God has spoken, the J.I. Packer book, he, he makes the statement Jesus Christ is the ultimate revelation of who God is. And he actually made reference back to uh, John chapter 1, verse 18, where it says that he has revealed the Father to us. God's plan. Ephesians chapter 1 gives us an amazing picture. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the, beloved, in the Beloved, referring to Christ. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will. If we didn't have His Word, we wouldn't know this. having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Before the foundation of the world, Scripture basically was in place. The Word of God was basically in place. The plan that would unfold was in place. Before ever the first words of in the beginning God created in that sense, the plan was there. The plan that God had to lavish on those who He would call His grace, His mercy, His love. The emphasis for me in, the, in this one passage has been making known to us His will. He's revealed us in nature, to us in nature that He exists and through His Word He has allowed us to come and understand who He is and what He wants to do with us, for us, and, and what He wants from us. Isaiah chapter, and, and this is pointing out the Old Testament moving into to pointing to Christ. And there's so many verses, uh, literally hundreds of verses. But just Isaiah 53, we know that the chapter is the suffering servant chapter of Isaiah. And so we have the Old Testament in Isaiah pointing to Jesus. And... The word speaking uh, very clearly. 
he was despised, verse 3 of chapter 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. This is the God, the Son of God, in the flesh. And the Word tells us that in the flesh God did this for us. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and the sheep before his shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. It goes on later on to say that, uh, that his grave should have been with the wicked and yet with a rich man in his death. And I, I started to look at these and when I first was... was uh, becoming a, a Christian and, and I'll go into a little bit of detail in a minute about that but the reality was is that there's so many scriptures that were written so far before the, the historical Jesus if you will to use the phrase of those who refer to Jesus without the idea of him being deity most often they'll say the historical Jesus and the reality is is that you know they'll, they'll say well yeah he existed and, and all of this happened, and, and for some, he, he, he had a, an amazing plot. I, again, have to show you my age and, and books that were written long ago, but the Passover plot was the idea of, of Jesus had manipulated all of these things to bring about you know, yeah, the, the, the idea that he would be you know, received as, as the head of a church and, the, and deity. Very complicated, lots of, of reading, but the reality was is that they were saying historical Christ, not God in the flesh. But Isaiah says, no, even before he was born, he was going to be uh, carry our, our iniquities to the uh, to his death. That he was going to be in substitute for us. That he was going to be bearing our griefs, and through his gift, through his sacrifice, we would be brought to peace with God. But even more amazing to, for me is 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 uh, Psalm uh, twenty two. Again, centuries before Christ, the psalmist David writes, verse 1, Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy and thrown on the praises of Israel. In your, in our, you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I, I'm a worm 
and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads, which means that you know they're shaking their heads at him. Uh, and, 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 and they're saying, He trusts in the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him, the, the, the Lord, rescue Him, for He delights in Him. They were mocking Him, saying, No, you're the Son of God. Why doesn't He let God deliver you? Yet you who took me from the womb, you, Jesus, speak, the, the psalmist speaking directly as, as to God. And by the way, this is called the Messianic Psalm. <clears throat> It's actually the words of Jesus speaking from the cross. You'll see that in a second here. You are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. And there's none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like raving, uh, ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can't count. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. Where does that take you? But right to the cross and the crucifixion, hundreds of years before it occurred. The Scripture, through prophecy, is pointing to Jesus. And the reality is, is that as we go back for a minute to the Roman road, it says in Romans 5.8, but God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, the sinners that this talks about. Isaiah, look, by the, we, we're the sinners of Isaiah. We're the ones that have strayed. We're the ones that have fallen short of the glory of God. And yet while we were still sinners, it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Christ died for us. Without His Word, we would not know what to do. But through His Word, we're told, again in Romans, this is chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Paul is making it clear that God has spoken. He's seen us before the foundation of the world, missing the mark. And before the foundation of the world, he put his plan into practice, into to effect, if you will. And would reveal himself in nature and through his word spoken. You know, the Holy Spirit inspiring the men who wrote it. And as a result, his grace has been lavished on those who confess him as Lord, as the one who God raised from the dead, who has uh, justified us and brought us at peace with God. 
Ephesians chapter 2 talks about we are saved by grace and grace alone. Again, there's no work that we can do that would bring us into salvation. Jesus Christ alone could do and has done that for us. What's mentioned at the beginning of, uh, this evening was that but there's a conflict over, uh, over this. As to, is this really the Scripture? God's Word? Yes or no? And I was thinking again as I was reading through uh, this particular book that uh, J.I. Packer made a statement. He said, uh, the, the real Jesus differed significantly from the man in the Gospels. This is somebody speaking about Jesus in the sense of, of just the historical Jesus, who he was. He said, he, he's not the guy of the Gospels. He differed significantly than that. We can now be sure and what was once taken as revealed truth in the epistles must now be read as the man-made, culturally conditioned mythology of the Christian mystery cult, telling us only of some feelings which early Christians had. The amazing thing for me is that early in my ministry, I met Pastor Stan and that's what Pastor Stan, the preacher of a church, believed. He believed there was his historical Jesus, but he did not receive this or accept this as the Word of God. And I asked him, I was kind of curious. I said, Well, then what do you do on Sunday morning as far as what do you preach about? You know, I mean, if it's not the Word of God. He says, Oh, well, the good teachings, again, of Jesus Christ as a social gospel in the sense of going out and doing good for other people. That's what, that, that's what pleases God. By the way, Stan didn't deny that there was a God. He just simply said he's not revealed in Scripture. The Scripture is just a group of stories that have been compiled together. And that's what these classes are going to show you that you know, that's not the case. What God has done in revealing Himself in His Word and how God has brought His Word to us up to this day that we can read it and read it with confidence. Somebody would ask me, can I be sure? There's no way I can take that to the proving ground from a scientific point of view. I again look at Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 just as examples of hundreds of scriptures of the Old Testament that were pointing to Christ and all that He would do. Right down to the point in Psalm 22 where it says they were casting lots for His clothing. You realize the people who deny the Word, they have to make an adjustment there somehow. And they say, well yeah, that was written or added to somehow after the fact. Yet we've got manuscripts that show us that it was well before the fact that these things were written. There's a, an author who uh, was instrumental early in my trying to figure out who Jesus is and, 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 and how to relate to, to the Scriptures. And uh, that was Josh McDowell. 
And uh, there's a little reading list on the, the handout I gave you there, but there's just a, a, a speck, really, of uh, all that you could be reading about it. Um, but Josh McDowell wrote uh, two, actually ended up in two volumes, Evidence the Demand, Demands a Verdict. And the other one was... In, uh, yeah, this, this one is, is, is thin. This, uh, the other is even thinner than this. And it says, More Than a Carpenter. And that's the title of the book. And what Josh McDowell says is that through Scripture and what we have of the Old Testament pointing to the New Testament, he says we have to look at Jesus as someone who literally fulfilled those prophecies. It's like that gave him an address. The Scriptures gave him an address that he had to meet. So that in a sense, uh, he had to, to be born at the right place. He had to be of the right lineage. All of these things that had to be met. He had to be pierced in his hands and pierced in his feet and pierced in his side. He had to have soldiers casting lots for his clothing at the bottom of his cross. All of these things had to happen. And they did. And something began to to happen for me. Somebody challenged me. He said, Bob, I want, you know, and, and there were people becoming, again, this is the, the, the mid 70s, people becoming Christians all around me, the, the Jesus movement. I can't say that I was a, a, a hippie per se, but at this point in time, I was self employed, had a wood shop, and, and uh, kind of fit the, the image probably for some people. You know, you walk into my shop, I would be there. My hair was down to uh, longer than it is now. My beard was bigger than it is now. And, and I'd have a leather apron on and, and you know, and, and carpenter's works and tools and things all over the place. And, and uh, I was pretty sure that my relationship was, if there is a God, I'm okay. And that's where I stood. So many of my friends were becoming Christians. I got to the point where I didn't want to see them anymore. I didn't want to talk to them anymore. In fact, I told Kathy, the next time they show up with their Bible, I'm going to leave. I'll go down to the... This was in paradise. I'm going to go down to the Wheelark, and you call me when they're gone. There was no cell phones, but she knew the, the number. <laughs> I didn't want anything to do with it. See, God, He wants to reveal Himself. He wanted to. He wants to open our eyes to see Him. And I'll never understand fully whether the snowstorm in May in Paradise, which was unique and unusual, was just for me. But somehow I, I sit in that and think, yeah, it was because. The guys that I worked with and, and had the, 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 in the buildings around me, we all looked at the front of our, our buildings and we said, oh, there's snow. Well, if we put the open sign in, we have to shovel the snow. So instead, let's go to the brunch house and have breakfast. <laughs> and so we all walked over a couple of blocks away and apparently everybody else that was in construction or painting or anything else had the same idea. One of those little places that has your cup hanging on the wall with your name on it, you know, you pick up your mug, go over to the coffee pot, get your coffee, and go to a table and sit down. 
There was one table that had four chairs, one occupied, and three empty. And there was three of us. So we walked up to the guy and said, do you mind if we sit with you? He said, no. Two hours later, my two friends had gone. My breakfast was cold. And I was talking with this guy about God and the Bible and the Scriptures. And I could tell that he believed. And I really believed. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, just something... It was deep in him. And I, I never sat down to give that a chance. And so he gave me a challenge. He said this, and he, and he had his Bible with him. He says, this is the revealed Word of God. God breathed. He says, read it. He says, go just and, and just start with the Gospel of John and read. And he didn't tell me it was the love Gospel. He didn't tell me all these different things that other people would have said at that time. He just says, go read the Gospel of John and see, with the understanding, is it possible that John really believes this? And I did. I had been set up. God had set me up. I really believed that. And like I said, I don't know if that snowstorm was just for me. But the reality was, as I read the Gospel of John, I said, man, he is passionate about this. It's the first time I'd ever sat down and actually read anything other than proof texting to, to, to find a reason to not believe. So I read Luke. I was sitting in my spray booth in a rocking chair I was supposed to be working on. Yeah, and and, and uh, I read Mark. read Matthew. Backwards, like I always do things. <laughs> and God was opening my eyes. How was He doing it? Through His Word. His Word has the power to do that when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to see it in a way that you've never seen it before. I'm not going to go into detail about the Holy Spirit at work. That's next week. But the reality was is that I was seeing it for the first time in a different way. Fifteen months later, again through ministry of Josh McDowell, I actually heard him speak. He, and of all the places to speak, it was at the college that I graduated from. I lived right near it still. Cal Poly, and he, and he had spoke. He was speaking there through the Navigators, I think it was, one of those groups, and 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 he had the 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 the, the book more than a carpenter there and stuff, and and uh, I was I was taken aback because he started out to disprove the Word of God as the Word of God. That was his purpose. That was his plan. And instead, God opened his eyes and he saw the passion and the conviction of the, of the Gospels and the writers of the Gospels. And he started to see that in Paul and Peter and James and John. And, 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 he, and he realized that what if this is true? What if Jesus is who he says he is? I've come to the point, I'm going to have to look at Jesus and say, the Word of God, because of what it says about him, Jesus is either a liar or he's absolutely insane or he's who he said he is. 
the Word of God had accomplished its purpose in my life. It revealed Him. It revealed Christ. It revealed my sin to me. It showed me God's holiness. It showed me my sinfulness. It showed me my deserved judgment. It showed me the gospel, the good news, God's grace. And I was finally at that point where, God, if you are real, then I need to know you. You know what God says about that? He says, if you ask and you really want to know, if you ask, what is He going to do? He's going to answer you. If you seek Him, what's He going to do? He's going to reveal Himself to you. He's going to say, let you find Me. The idea is that He really is taking you. you know, And if I knock, He says, I'll come in. I'll open the door. I'll come in. Ask, seek, not. It's an amazing thing to know that God of all creation revealed so clearly in nature. And I've heard people say it's hard to walk through the redwoods and not believe, you know. But I look at it the other way, and, and, and my sister, who looks at the whole world most of her life through a microscope, and she says, It's hard not to believe because of what you see. So no matter how small you go or how big you go, God seems to be showing himself. When he draws you into his word, he reveals himself in such a way that when the word has done its work, it's drawn you into him. Into the reality of receiving him. Just as what Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 say, confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart, he is the Son of God. The Old Testament points to him. The Gospels tell us who he is. And and the the letters tell us how to apply all of his teaching to -to day-to-day stuff. One of the questions that gets asked, especially when you're teaching kids, you know, one of of the ones, especially if you're doing the Old Testament, what if Adam and Eve hadn't eaten the apple? (laughs) Now, uh, I don't have an answer for that, by the way. Um, Because it it goes right along with what, without the word, what would happen? I don't play what if. The word is here. We have it. God has given us enough information to show us that it is indeed Him revealing Himself to us. And He gives us the solution to our problem of having fellowship with Him through Jesus Christ, the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection, accepting the fact that He is now at the right hand of God and that He's coming again. And in the meantime, He is ministering to us and through us in His Word still. Because there's one more thing that goes with this in reference to His Word. We don't just ask once, seek once, and knock once in the sense of 
wanting to know Him. To salvation and the, and the, the confession of faith, yes, that's a, a one-time act. But the ongoing picture is to continue to ask, continue to seek, and to continue to knock. And He will continue to let you grow. And it's an amazing thing. You sit there and you'll realize, all of a sudden as you're reading through here, you're going to say, oh my goodness, that goes with this over here. And it's not because you read it in J.I. Packer's book or R.C. Sproul's book or John MacArthur's book, but because you were reading the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit you were ready to receive this next step. I want to encourage you. Let the Scripture be a part of your life on a regular basis. Regular should be the word daily, nothing less. And rest with the confidence that the God of all creation has indeed revealed Himself. Now, that's as simple a presentation as I could possibly make in reference to the, the idea of Scripture being the Word of God. And, and it doesn't answer all of the questions because quite candidly, a lot of the questions we can pose a lot of questions that we really can't turn around and, again, scientifically answer. But I know what I know in the sense of what God has done in my life and in the lives of so many other people that I know and love over the years and have watched. I saw it in my grandparents. I saw it in my uncle. I saw it in my cousin who was significantly older than me. And I guess the reason why I wanted nothing to do with it was because it meant saying someone has authority over me and I just wasn't wanting to receive that. But God has revealed Himself. Asked us to come into His presence. Opened the door through the cross. The Word became flesh. Both among us suffered and died on the cross, went to the grave, resurrection, and it's all here in his word. Now, if you have some questions, I would say, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're done. Is there any particular version of the Bible you would recommend for someone that's yeah, I, I, you know, I came from a church initially where I first started going to church after I accepted the Lord, and man, they were King James only, you know. And and finally, when the New King James came out, they went to as far as that, that as far as they go. Yeah, I, I I like the English Standard Version. I think it's a, a clean, easy to read, and, and strong translation. Uh, but that's not to say, you know, other people say, well, you know, the NIV or others, and, and, and some of them make jokes about them and stuff like that. The bottom line is is that uh, go, you can go to somebody that you trust in the sense of, a, of, a, of an authority or a, a person, J.I. Packer or uh, John MacArthur, others, and see what they say. And you'll find that, generally speaking, they're, they're, they're not concerned as to which one, King James or NIV or ESV, but as much as, as that you are in it and reading it. Now, are there some spurious scriptures out there? Yes. Okay. 
but they're normally associated with groups who are autonomous and by themselves, whether they be Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, and others, uh, where they've either added to it or taken away from it or brought in another gospel, uh, which Paul speaks very specifically to in Galatians. Uh, so, uh, I, 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 like I said, I, I use the English Standard Version as the, as, as the version of choice for, for me today simply because it's really easy to read and, and, it's, and it's consistent. And a number of the, the men who's long time in the ministry and their studies and their professionalism within the framework of their studies have endorsed it as, as solid. But well, we do have some refreshments over there, just some cookies if you want to have a cookie or, or whatever. And the coffee, I don't know if there's any left. The one that says bun is, is, is the real stuff. And the other one that says something kettle is the, uh, the decaf. And, uh, and so uh, uh, help yourself. There's waters on the counter over here. And uh, thank you for being here this evening. And I hope that you'll be encouraged to come because the things, this is just the idea, okay, here's the word. How can we trust it today? All these other things are going to be coming up in our discussions. And I, 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 I hope you can join me in looking forward to them. I think they're going to be really good studies. So let's have a, a word of prayer as we close. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to join together in your word. We acknowledge that in your sovereign grace and ministry to us, you have revealed yourself so that we can know you. That we can know you uh, and see you and that you and, and come to that reality that you have brought peace through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross that we might be in your presence. And not only in your presence, but to be able to come into your presence with a confidence, with a boldness that says, to rest with that idea of your mercy and grace being lavished on us. Thank you. We thank you for all that you are to us. We ask that you would go with us. Cause us, Lord, to be first and foremost seeking after you and wanting to know you more day by day. We pray this in Jesus' name. We're blessed. Thank you for being here tonight.